It is often said that history is written by the victors, and while historians tend to view that sentiment as overly simple, it dates back centuries. Even today, we can only guess how many once-thriving civilizations are buried beneath the sands of time, and our ancient ancestors were also acutely aware of this. For all the massive monuments of Egypt, we know surprisingly little about their African trading partners. And we only know of ancient Celtic druids in writing from their Roman enemies. And while the earliest Greek epics tackle the Trojan War, details on the Trojans themselves are very scarce. When the Greeks infiltrated the walls of Troy, they burned the city to the ground. They did such a good job, in fact, that until recently it was debated whether the city existed at all. The glory of the Greeks was, for the Trojans, the end of the world. But even as the city burned, a few Trojan survivors found a new fate carrying on after the end. For one such survivor, the hero Aeneas, the fall of Troy marked the beginning of a journey to found a new city, which would go on to become an empire more mighty than even Troy at its height. And his story, the Aeneid, gives a practical blueprint for all who must carry on through trying times. My name is Sean. Welcome to Mythos and Logos. The Aeneid was written over a thousand years after the events that it describes, but the words of the poet Virgil bring them dramatically to life. Aeneas tells of a war that is as deeply personal as Homer's Iliad, but from the other side, Aeneas is a Trojan. The pain felt by the Trojans at the death of Prince Hector is felt by him. The city's panic at the Greek soldiers climbing out of the Trojan horse surrounds him. It is no wonder that when later Aeneas is asked to recall the traumatic events, he replies, You are asking me to relive unspeakable sorrow, to recall how the Greeks pulled down Troy, that tragic realm with all its riches. I saw these horrors myself and played no small part in them. What Myrmidian or Dolopian, what brutal soldier of Ulysses could tell of such a tale and refrain from the tears? But if you are so passionate to learn of our misfortunes, to hear a brief account of Troy's last struggle, although my mind shudders to remember and recoils in pain, I will begin. Aeneas recalls the destruction of his home with the striking detail that doesn't come from history books, but from lived experience. But of all the tragic images, one of the most dramatic is also the one which reveals the most about the hero. As the city burns around him, Aeneas carries his aged father Anchises out of the flames on his back, 
Amkisis is the embodiment of Aeneas's heritage. Symbolically, by carrying his father, it is as though he carries all the Trojans. And Anchises himself carries the idols of the family's gods. Personal deities, not widely worshipped like the Olympians, but which would hold a special and personal connection, often personifying the highest values guiding a family for generations. In the chaos of Troy's destruction, Aeneas carries his heritage and his values forward. Crucially, Aeneas is not motivated by a return to the past, but bringing it into the future. Aeneas's son, Ascanius, walks by his side. The future generation is not carried, but has to stand on its own two feet. When Troy falls and the war ends, it is Aeneas's journey into the future that takes focus. Aeneas, his father, and his son meet with a group of Trojan refugees on the outskirts of the city. The distant flames make it clear that the life that they once knew is gone. But with his past, future, and values by his side, Aeneas sets forth to lead these refugees to a new life. Aeneas's journey takes him around the Mediterranean, with some scenes that might be familiar to anyone who's read the Odyssey, including an appearance by the Cyclops Polyphemus, where Aeneas and his men rescue a Greek soldier who was left behind with the beast. But while the chaos of the sea provides one challenge, building a foundation on land is an equal, if not greater one. The Trojans attempt many times to found new cities in their wanderings, but are driven off, in one case by diplomatic issues, in another by a plague, once by a tragic love story, with Dido, a queen, who deserves an episode of her own. In each case, it becomes harder for the wandering Trojans to keep hope in the future. When Aeneas's father, Anchises, dies of old age, the hero needs his guidance as much as ever. So he journeys to the only place that he can hope to see his father once more. The Underworld. Aeneas travels to meet the Sibyl, a priestess of Apollo, who can guide him beyond the boundaries of our world pious Aeneas prays before her. Let me pass. Open the sacred doors and show me the way so that I might see my father face to face. I saved him. I carried him on my shoulders through fire and a thousand enemy spears. He was at my side through that long journey, sharing the perils of sea and sky crippled as he was, beyond what his age allowed. It was his pleas that convinced me to come as suppliant to you. Pity, father and son, gracious one, for you have the power. 
The priestess warns that it is easy to reach the underworld, but harder to make it back out, and gives Aeneas two tasks. First, to prove that fate is on his side, he must gather a golden bough sacred to Proserpina, the queen of the underworld. And to prove his piety, he must give one of his fallen comrades a proper funeral, setting the past behind. When both tasks are done, Aeneas makes his descent, touring the underworld in such detail that it is no surprise the author, Virgil, would later be Dante's guide through the Inferno. Aeneas witnesses the souls of his comrades and those that he has met on his journey, finally coming to his father on Kisses. Aeneas goes to hug his father three times, and three times his arms pass through the hollow spirit. The past, it turns out, can always give us guidance, but what's over is over, and we cannot cling to it. Ankisis instead draws Aeneas' attention to the future. Aeneas sees Lethe, the river of forgetfulness, and the countless souls lined up at its banks to cleanse themselves for a new life. Ankisis reveals a glimpse of this future to Aeneas, so that he may carry on in his journey. These souls are owed another body by fate. In the ripples of Lethe, they sip the waters of forgetfulness and timeless oblivion. I have been longing to show them to you, the census of my generations, so that you may rejoice as I do at finding Italy. First, heaven and earth, the sea's expanse, the moon's bright globe, the sun and stars, are all sustained by a spirit within. Every part is infused with mind, which moves the whole, the sources of life. A divine fire pulses within those seeds of life, a celestial energy, but it is slowed and dulled by mortal frames, earthly bodies doomed to die. And so men fear and desire, sorrow and exult, and shut in the shade of their prison houses, they cannot see the sky. The souls that stand at the river's edge before Aeneas have each gone through a unique journey to purge themselves of that earthly influence, returning themselves to their natural state. And so we are disciplined and expiate our bygone sins. We each suffer our own ghosts. Then we are sent through spacious Elysium, and a few enjoy the blessed fields, until the fullness of time removes the last trace of stain, leaving only the pure flame of ethereal spirit. All these, when they have rolled the wheel of time through a thousand years, will be called by God in a great assembly to the river Lethe that they may return to the vaulted world with no memory and may begin again to desire rebirth in a human body. Now I will set forth the glory that awaits the Trojan race, the illustrious souls of the Italian heirs to our name. I will teach you your destiny.
Aeneas is shown the souls of his descendants, the future generations of Romans who will build a city far greater than Troy. And while more battles are destined to be fought, Aeneas is motivated by the sight of his descendants living in peace. This peace would not be constant. At the time of writing the Aeneid, Virgil's Rome was emerging from a civil war. But even then, the hope of a secure future would be a constant motivation for leaders who, like Aeneas, would be faced with hard times and prepared to rise to their challenge. So informed by his past and inspired by his future, Aeneas leaves the underworld and prepares to build his home in Italy. When the Trojans land on the shores of Italy, they come in peace. The Italian king Latinus receives an omen that his daughter is to be married to a foreigner. The leader of the arriving Trojans fits all the criteria for a good ally for the family. And since Aeneas and his men fled Troy as refugees, they do not want another war, and this marriage seems like the key to a peaceful settlement. But the goddess Juno does not share the Trojans' desire for peace. Even the gods took sides in the Trojan War, the Queen of Olympus included. Now perhaps Juno is still jealous of Venus, who the Trojan prince Paris chose as the most beautiful goddess in the event that started the war, or perhaps she's simply one to hold a grudge for picking the wrong side. In either case, Juno summons Electo, one of the Furies, a spirit of unceasing anger to drive a neighboring Italian king into a rage against these foreigners. And while Achilles' rage in the Iliad stopped him from fighting, this king Turnus' rage drives him to attack. And Aeneas and his men do not want a war, but this close to building a new home, they are willing to fight. Much of the epic's closing books wouldn't feel out of place in a 1980s action movie, showing just how important it is for Aeneas, how hard he is willing to fight, to have a new home for his history and for his gods. So the Trojans and Latins fight side by side against their enraged neighbors led by Turnus, building up to a final showdown, which Aeneas wins against his rival king. But it is Aeneas' actions after the victory that show the lessons he learned. Having been on the losing side before, he chooses not to continue the cycle of violence and conquest. He builds a shrine for his family gods and carries his values through to the new land. But there is a reason we call his future descendants the Roman Empire and not the Trojan one. Because just like his father's ghost, Aeneas knows that the past is gone. So the Trojans and Italians join together as equals to create something new, inspired by the past. Indeed, Troy has fallen and is not coming back. 
But through the new kingdom, what matters most lives on into the future. Aeneas's commitment to his values gave him the strength to move forward after a war uprooted his entire world. Now, today, many of us are fortunate enough not to experience the dramatic destruction that was faced at the fall of Troy. But even so, we all may have our worlds upturned in other ways, or live in fear of what might come. For all of us, the example of Aeneas is one to follow on our way forward. Aeneas did not carry the high-ranking Trojan generals on his back through the flames, but his own father. They did not bring a statue of Apollo or Athena with them, but one of their own personal family gods. Aeneas was able to identify what was most important to him, his personal heritage and values, and bring them forward into the new world. And when Aeneas carried those values with him, he was able to save the most precious treasure in Troy. In the same way, if we know what is precious to us, we can carry those values, whether through a war like Aeneas or through a peaceful life. It is indeed a tragic truth that the life and world that we know can end at any time. But like Aeneas, we can bring our roots and values into a new context, whatever that may hold. Then, even though the past may be gone, we can still use its wisdom to build a better future. The Aeneid is a fascinating book written by uh, Virgil, a Roman poet, as a personal commission uh, from the Emperor Augustus. Rome had just emerged from a brutal civil war, and Augustus needed something to unify the nation, an idea of an epic like the great Iliad and Odyssey before it. That said, if you're interested in uh, commissioning something of your own, uh, I would like to introduce you to our Patreon here. Um, at, patrons at our highest level, the Empyrean, uh, can actually uh, suggest an episode, uh, a topic which can be either into a podcast YouTube episode or uh, potentially a blog post as well, just depending on how it fits the format. There are also a lot of other tiers, ways you can help out, be a patron and sponsor the show and I really am thankful to everyone who watches, everyone who supports in your own way, whether that just be listening, whether that be taking some of these values if you find something of use into your own life whether that means leaving a comment or whether that means your financial support I'm deeply thankful and consider myself blessed and I am looking forward to seeing you next time where we will be traveling far from Rome to share some Buddhist stories. See you then.